My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. My parents at the time went, okay, you've already bought a property and now you've bought a second one. Time to stop now. <laughs> time to, to just settle back and not worry about property anymore. But that really wasn't my plan. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with property manager of Progressive Property, Melissa Morgan. We delve into her background on what inspired her to dive into the property industry, how she got involved in property development and some of the stories into some of the deals that didn't go to plan and what she learned from them and much, much more. Morgan is a property manager and licensee for Progressive Property and we find out what her typical day looks like. So, I, I sort of follow the 80-20 rule. I probably spend about 80% of my day running the business which is basically my day job. Uh, the rest of the time, I spend either sort of looking after my kids, um, managing my own personal portfolio and also I often have a development project here and there. So, currently, I've got one that's wrapping up so I spend a bit of time doing that as well. Finding that work-life balance can be quite difficult when you add a couple of children into the equation. When you have young kids, the household has always um, got a high level of intensity. But at the end of the day, I think the kids kind of respect that you know their mum and dad uh, also work, and we both work at home, my husband and I. So um, they're around us a lot while we're working, and they're quite um, good, sort of you know, at giving us our space. Property seems to be quite a large focus within the Morgan household. He quit his full-time day job to uh, be a mortgage broker nearly three years ago. So, yeah, he runs Freedom Funding. We delve into her upbringing as we learn about where she grew up as a young child. I grew up in the St. George area of Sydney. I Actually, I was born in Shanghai, so my parents both came here as migrants. Um, and, yeah, I came when I was six um, and spent most of my younger years um, moving around in the St. George area. I ended up going to St. George Girls High School. Um, and then probably about 10, 15 years ago, my parents decided they were going to move to the east and sort of you know, completely change where they lived. It is always a big change as a kid when you spend so much of your childhood in one area and you move to a completely new location. I think for everybody in our family, it was very, it was a bit of a shock. You know, suddenly we were very far away from the shops and the friends that we're all used to. But I think they saw that there was possibly more potential in having a, a owner-occupied property in the east and there was bigger growth. So, they, they sold up all their um, assets and, and moved. 
Growing up with parents that had an interest in property seems to have rubbed off on her from a young age. I remember when I was maybe 13 or 14, just going from property to property with my parents, trying to find a, another home. Um, and my mum my was very picky, so she dragged me around to lots of properties. And I think that's probably what sort of kick-started my interest. We find out about what Morgan got up to once she had finished high school and what her interests were at that time. At the time, I was always a very hands-on person and IT was all the rage uh, back in sort of around the 2000, year, year 2000. So I, I went and did an IT degree. I went to UNSW and got a Bachelor of Science um, in Business Information Technology. But actually halfway through the degree, which was probably where I'd sort of started my investing journey and got really passionate about property, I realised I actually wasn't so, so much passionate about IT. But at, the, at that point, I just finished my degree and moved forward. We delve into what she did after completing her university degree and what that enabled her to do. Uh, so I went into corporate. I went to work for Macquarie Bank um, and I started in their investment lending area in uh, operations. But then a couple of years after that, I asked to move into property because I realised that that was where my true interest lied. Um, and then they moved me into the real estate group and I spent three years there. Um, but in that time, I was actually fortunate that they helped me with getting a Master's of Commerce in Property Investment and Development. So it actually enabled me to sort of get an extra qualification. Morgan shares with us how she was able to get the job she did once she completed her degree. So, well, because the degree I did was a co-op scholarship, uh, Macquarie is one of the sponsors. So during the degree, I already spent six months working Macquarie's IT division. Um, then I made a few friends and basically just begged them <laughs> to let me into, into the corporate division. She was able to be part of some projects which allowed her to get some hands-on experience while working for Macquarie. When I was in the real estate area, I was in a team called Prudential, which is essentially compliance. So it was managing Macquarie's risk on the balance sheet for their development projects. So I got a bit of exposure to their very large projects. Some of them were like Greg Norman golf course developments of 200 properties. Um, some of them were smaller, sort of maybe 20 townhouses. Then she was able to be involved in some high-level projects, which helped her gain some valuable experience. I think at the time, I didn't appreciate what I was working with. I was in my 20s and these projects were tens of millions of dollars. So for me, I... You know, I knew what I was doing day to day, but I didn't see the big picture. Um, and I think that the role probably suited to someone that had more experience in the real world. Um, I, I got to, it was very interesting to see how a project came into fruition and the way they structured it and how every project had its own company and they did joint ventures with other companies. Um, but it was never something I could actually apply because it was too far above you know what I understood at the time especially when you're dealing with millions and millions of dollars of development it's kind of like okay how do I take all this away and apply it to our thing because to raise funding and all that kind of stuff is no small feat it was huge um, hugely complicated deals you know there was like lots and lots of contracts and paperwork involved there was options there was you know subdivisions and things that were subject to different DAs um, and yeah, and it really the people that worked on it only focused on one small area. Nobody ever really you know, had control of the whole project. I guess you have multiple teams as well too, which made it even more challenging and more complex as well. So it's not like just a small little development that you're doing where you can take these skills and apply it. 
it was interesting times, but I always felt a little bit um, frustrated because I, I never um, fully understood sort of my, my role because I was not, I guess, not had, didn't have enough exposure to the real world to be able to focus on how much risk there was that I was seeing day to day. We delve into how she got started on her property investing journey and what inspired her to go down that path. The year was 2000 and I um, I, I was 18. I just graduated high school and yeah, I, I basically had enough saved, a small deposit, about $20,000 saved up since I was probably about five or six. Um, and yeah, and I, I just was looking at the paper and I'd sort of, you know, had that interest in property from my parents and saw that there were studios in Potts Point going for about $100,000. Um, and then I, I, my parents said, hey, you know, why not get your first property? Uh, and I, I'd actually done a bit of temping at a mortgage broking business. So I, I was had some exposure then as well to, to loans and sort of the whole mortgage process. So, yeah, I, I, I had income from working for my parents as a family business. And I um, went and jumped in and bought a little studio for $105,000. Buying a cheap property at Potts Point is an exciting way to start off your property investing portfolio. But we learn about some of the difficulties she faced. It was a horrible little place. It was 24 square metres. It um, didn't even have a window that looked onto the outside. It looked into a light well and people kept throwing rubbish into this light well. Um, it was, yeah, and the whole thing smelled like pizza because of the pizza shop downstairs. I had some interesting experiences there. Um, I, I went to a, a local property manager um, and they put some tenants in and those tenants ended up defaulting on their rent, um, not, not vacating the property. The property managers sort of just waved, you know, waved their hands and didn't, um, you know, weren't proactive. So I actually, at 19, I went to tribunal to represent myself. Um, to kick those tenants out. So that was a, a very early exposure to property management for me. Um, and yeah, thanks to this property, I um, decided after that that I wanted to manage my own properties from then on and and didn't really want to work with property managers anymore. It's easy to be discouraged from continuing on your journey after having such a bad experience with your first property. But Morgan chose to continue on her way. The following year, went to Brisbane on a little holiday and looked at the returns there. And uh, I went, wow, this is phenomenal. And this was in 2001. So it was well before Brisbane sort of had a big boom. Um, And I bought another one-bedroom property there for $97,000. And that rented for $170 a week. So it was very positive cash flow right from the beginning. Already having purchased two properties around the age of 19, is extremely impressive as we learn how she was able to afford these properties. My parents had a fashion business, so I'd always, ever since I was growing up, worked for them. So I think when I turned 17, 18, they were able to monetize it a bit more. Uh, <laughs> so I, well, maybe I realized that I wasn't going to be working for free anymore. <laughs> so I, I did a lot of work for my parents doing deliveries and tagging and, and sorting and um so there was a lot of work that I did growing up and all through uni I worked for my parents. So that helped with my income. Um, for my second property, I actually did borrow the deposit off my parents. Um, I well, actually it was sort of gifted to me in the end. I never really repaid it. <laughs> but it was only maybe another 30000 that I needed for the deposit and the stamp duty. Um, and it just made sense to me at the time um, to go and 
you know, invest interstate. It for some reason I didn't think about it too much. I just went look the returns are there. It's a great little apartment, so why not? Um, my parents at the time went, okay, you've already bought a property and now you've bought a second one. Time to stop now. <laughs> Time to to just settle back and not worry about property anymore. But that really wasn't my plan. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Melissa Morgan's journey and the influence her parents had on her property career. I was lucky in that they still trusted my instincts and, and allowed me to do it, um, or allowed me by, by helping me with a deposit. I think by that point, I'd sort of well and truly started my passion for property. How projects can be influenced by factors outside of your control. I hadn't made any major mistakes. You know, I guess a reality check on how much the market can really influence the success of a project. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Morgan shares with us just how much of an influence her parents were in regards to her property investment journey. My parents were very, I guess, risk averse and traditional and they were like, why would you buy interstate? You can't see it. Um, are you sure you want to do this? But they were, I was lucky in that they still trusted my instincts and, and allowed me to do it um, or allowed me by, by helping me with a deposit. Um, I, I think by that point, I sort of well and truly started my passion for property. Um, I also did a very quick cosmetic meno to the first Potts Point place, which then gave me some exposure to seeing that value could be added. Um, And a year later, two years after I purchased the Potts Point place, I actually sold it for $165,000, which was a significant gain, I guess, if you look at that, you know, the property was only $105,000 to start with. When I started at Macquarie, it was probably nearly two years of wages. But it did give me um, a good deposit then and I I put it straight away into another property in Elizabeth Bay. So I sort of, I guess, traded up and got a a decent, like a one bedroom with parking um, with uh, the gains that I made from that property. And then also saved some of it probably for a deposit a couple of years later for another Queensland property. Buying in at what we know now as high-end locations, what did Morgan do with the property she purchased in Elizabeth Bay? I kept that one. I, I don't have it anymore, but I kept it for quite a few years. Um, I, I basically, after that, in my 20s, I, I then graduated and started my job at Macquarie. So I was able to actually borrow more money. Plus, I had a bit of equity from my first Brisbane property. So all through my 20s, I just ended up basically buying properties every couple of years. Um, so I ended up going to Queensland and buying three properties. Um, I also bought two apartments in Sydney. Um, what else did I buy? <laughs> uh, and then I bought a, like a duplex, a, a dual occupancy property in Adelaide also in my 20s. After having such a successful start in her 20s, we find out about the current situation of her property portfolio. When I got into my 30s, I stopped sort of wanting to buy and hold and I wanted to do more. So then the strategy changed quite a bit over those years. So, I mean, currently, I suppose I've got nine, my husband and I together have nine um, investment properties that we hold around the country for growth over time. Um, And then I've got development projects. But I suppose we should probably take a step back to talk about how I got into development. If you can share with us on that side, that'll be excellent. 
back to when I was at Macquarie, I was dissatisfied and I saw an ad one day for someone that was passionate about property and helping other people buy property. Um, that was uh, for an ad for a buyer's agent. And this was 2010, so buyer's agents weren't very common. But the ad resounded with me, so I quit my job at Macquarie and I went to join this startup buyer's agency company. The company was called Capital 360 at the time. They're no longer around. It, they they expanded a bit too quickly and tried to do too many things. Um, so I, I spent two years with them till they went under. But I, I did learn uh, you know, quite a lot in that time. How did Morgan get from working in a buyer's agency to going into property development? I just got more, wanted to be more and more hands-on. I decided that I, the cosmetic reno at the first place I had in in Potts Point worked. So I I did a little flip of another studio somewhere in the middle um, and saw, you know, that I could make money. Then I just wanted to get into some bigger and bigger things, I guess, as, as most people do. Um, and I bought a, I jumped in sort of the deep end and bought a development site in Hurstville um, for four townhouses. And that, in hindsight, was actually probably one of my bigger mistakes. So we actually lost money on that site, but it was a, a huge learning curve. Um, I went in there without knowing, you know, how to really had how to develop at all. I knew that I, I could build four townhouses, but I, I got referred to architects, consultants, and I sort of trusted them, and I got led a little bit astray by a few of them. So it really just resulted in me throwing a lot of money into the project. It's spending a very long time, a couple of goes at getting a DA, and eventually, after 18 months, I finally got the DA for the four townhouses. We learn more about the story of one of our worst investing moments. By that point, I was very mentally tired of, of managing it. Um, I'd learnt a heap from, you know, just the process of what was required to, you know, show council that a, a DA was suitable for the site, to what sort of consultants I needed, what sort of reports, um, you know, the council would be wanting. But by that point, I was fatigued, I guess, and I decided to, to sell the property. Um, but the process itself... It was it was really tough. It was so many unknowns and so much learning and, and having to trust people that I didn't really have a prior experience with was a challenge. So how long before after um, those 18 months did you actually exit out of the whole project and, and did you build the whole thing in the end? I sold it to a builder when I got the DA. So I, I basically exited after about 18 months. Um, I, I went, well, I've got the DA now. I've learned a lot but I don't have the stamina to go through with the building. Um, I, I, again, didn't have any contacts, hadn't had the experience of getting a CC or the construction. So I just took what I could for the property um, and and sold it on to someone else. How much of a loss did you make on that one? Um, it was probably close to about 200K by the end of it. Ouch. Okay. So that, that was quite um, detrimental or quite a big impact on you. It was sort of all our savings. Um you know, at the time and, and really sort of all the gains that sort of I made on flipping my little properties and doing, you know, other other things along the way. Morgan shares the difficulty of that time 
and how she was able to pick herself back up after that. It was a really tough time. I It was also the same time that Capital 360 went under. So overnight, I'd lost all my savings. I had no job. Um, they, at the time, were managing some of my interstate properties, and I, I had I struggled a little bit to get some of the cash flow back from from that when, when they went into administration. So there was a whole heap of... Um, you know, I guess negative things going on in my life at the time. So it it just slowly sort of had to crawl out of it, I guess, and pick my life back up one piece at a time. Um, yeah, one of the things I, I did was actually jump straight back into property. <laughs> I, um, we bought a little home, actually. By that point, um, we went and bought a, a house in the inner west in Annandale. Um, and we did that just sort of to ground ourselves. Like my husband and I just wanted a base. We wanted, I guess we didn't have, there was so many pieces up in the air at that point in our life. We wanted to sort of settle down into something. Um, yeah. And, and I, I started working for a construction business. A friend of mine had a, a civil construction business that wanted some help. So it actually gave me something new to sort of learn as well along the way. We hear about another investment story which did not go to plan and what Morgan was able to learn from it. That was actually last year. Um, after a few successful developments, I, um, I bought a duplex site in the inner west in Dulwich Hill and it was very similar to one that had been very successful so I thought it was pretty low risk but I, I underestimated actually how much the market would fall in Sydney um, sort of about 12 months ago. Um, and I, I got to a point where I actually had a bit of a health scare. I, I finished the project, you know, the election was looming and not looking too great. So I just, I sold the project. I, I wanted to take the cash back out of the project and hold on to it um, for maybe more opportunities. And I just felt that selling out of the project was a, um, a better decision than indefinitely holding on. In hindsight, you know, now, now that the market is what it is today, maybe not so much. But no one, no one would have known that was going to happen with the election and the interest rate falls and the lending changes. It was a valuable learning experience for Morgan about how many various influences can factor into the success of a project. If I'd held on, the market bounced back and I would have made a profit on this project. Instead, I sold at a time when things were looking really bleak and I lost a little bit of money. Um, the It was probably the worst investing moment because by that point I'd learnt so much I, I felt a little bit more bulletproof. I, I wasn't, you know, jumping in the deep end. I'd had the experience but I still lost money and I, I hadn't built the wrong product. I hadn't made any major mistakes. So it was, you know, I guess a, a reality check on how much the market can really influence the success of a project. She tells us about what her initial vision was for the Dulwich Hill property before outside forces took hold. So it was a DA-approved uh, site. It was an old house that had approval for two Torrance title duplexes. So really large ones, with four bedrooms, three bathrooms, um, not, you know, well located in a west area. And on paper, it, it made sense. I'd already had a really great builder I was working with. I was coming out of another duplex project that was making good money. Um, and yeah, I bought this one thinking, you know, it wasn't going to be a high-risk project at all. Sometimes luck just is not on your side when you're trying to make the best deal you possibly can. I didn't anticipate how much the market would fall. The weekend that we marketed the the project was when that 60-minute story came out about properties falling by 40%. 
um, it was just bad timing and bad luck, I think. And then after that, we really had no interest because, you know, if you were a buyer and you saw that story, you wouldn't go out the next day and buy a property. You would wait for the market to fall. And it and, and did. It was the sentiment of the market and the loss of confidence, uh, you know, that the mark, the media created. Um, and it was, you know, looking forward at that point, we didn't see a huge amount of improvement. You know, the economy was not looking great. The election was, you know, Labor was going to make changes to the, the housing market. Um, yeah, it, it really didn't look like property was going to go up in the short to medium term. If everyone could operate in hindsight, then everyone would be making successful deals. But it's important to be able to look back and say that you did the best you could. Well, I think one thing is to sort of accept your decisions. It's to, you know, you make the best decision you can with the information you have at the time. And really, hindsight, you know, can bring on a whole heap of regret and other emotions, but really there's no point in it. It's to sort of accept that you did the best you could. Um, But really, I guess it is to factor in that the market could fall when you do your figures and it could fall significantly. Um, In that area, it probably fell at least 15 to 20%. So it really did take out the margin that I had factored in at the beginning of the project. Um, And we did have a few unexpected delays when we started building, which caused the project to drag on for a little bit longer and increase the holding costs. So that also was something that maybe I could have avoided if I'd known how the end result would turn out. You never know what kind of issues are going to arise once you get started working on a property project. And the fact is, that, you know, you just don't know when you start what problems you're going to run into. Um, but I think a lot of people have said to me, look, it's great that I'm sort of talking about um, unsuccessful projects because there's a lot of people talking about how great development can be um, and how successful and how much money they've made. But you don't often hear stories where things have gone wrong or, um, you know, learn from sort of people's experiences where they've lost money. So, inspired by Melissa Morgan's journey and an inspiring story, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory, where we'll discuss her aha moment. Starting Progressive Property, my property manager business, is probably a, a big aha light bulb moment um, for me. The motivation that Morgan still has to reach high goals despite her success. On paper, we've got financial freedom, but in our heads, we really want to achieve a lot more. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.